Good morning. Herb Oscar Anderson. Welcome back to the return of the Morning Mayor, and as always, thank you so much for coming along on this journey as we analyze and learn all about the life and times of HOA. Today's episode is very, very interesting because we have three different people you're going to meet, ranging from an individual who was a housewife in New York City to a soldier in the trenches of Vietnam and how a special song actually saved his life, and one special lady who just wanted to teach the world to sing. Without further ado, it's the three-guest episode. Welcome to the return of the Morning Mayor. I'm Carla Baskarin, Herb Oscar Anderson's daughter, and I'm with my good friend Suzanne Kennedy, who is going to be talking to her mother-in-law, Mrs. Kennedy, who was a listener of my father. Yes, I have very good memories of listening to uh, the radio back in Brooklyn in the 60s. Very seldom ever had the TV on, and you didn't have to because just listening to HOA in the morning, the morning mayor of New York, was really all you needed. I loved listening to him. I loved the music, of course, and it was, uh, it was just part of my morning. Every morning, got up, and the first thing you did was turn on the radio. And I miss it. I wish I could do that today. Yeah, now the radio was always on. And then when Herb Oscar came on, you know, it was even better. And we just, I just listened to that probably until it was time to go out or something else came up. But it was always part of the morning. I TV remember never ended. My dad would always say, okay, it's cold outside, ladies. Make sure you dress the kids for the school bus and, you know, make sure you have your umbrella. It's going to rain later. And he would always give the right. housewives uh, a heads up as to what to expect for the day. On New York in the morning at 19 minutes past 9, what's the very first word that comes to your mind when I say aspirin? Did you say Bayer? Good. Now then, what's the very first word that comes to your mind when I say children's aspirin? Well, the answer to that should be Bayer, too, because orange-flavored Bayer aspirin for children is the finest children's aspirin you can buy, you know. After all, that stands to reason. No one else has nearly as much aspirin experience as Bayer. In fact, no one else makes children's aspirin like Bayer. No one else purifies children's aspirin like Bayer. No one else protects children's aspirin like Bayer. And it's as simple as this. When you give orange-flavored Bayer aspirin for children, the Bayer name tells you that you're giving the very best. So next time you think of children's aspirin, think of Bayer. Get orange-flavored Bayer aspirin for children. It's the exact tablet size the doctors recommend. There's a double lock cap on every bottle. And that's Bayer aspirin. That's right, Bayer aspirin for children, 20 minutes past 9. Right, that's true. And uh, back then in Brooklyn, we didn't have bus service, so... You were hoping that one of the neighbors uh, had a, an, a car if it was raining and they could drive the kids. Otherwise, we just walked. And that was fine, too. But it's, it's just great remembering uh, him and, and back then in the 60s, you know, how your day started. And it always started with the radio. And, uh, and then, of course, as the years went on, and then when I realized, here I am in Hoosick Falls, and Herb Oscar Anderson isn't living that far from me. Well, that was great. I thought that was wonderful. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, you probably and of course, <laughs> brought back memories <laughs> listening to his voice. Yes, definitely. And uh, it, it's great. I mean, just knowing him and listening to his music. And, of course, knowing your mother. I just, I know your mom now since she's living here 
and just a great person. Yeah. So she's shy. She just, she doesn't want to come on the podcast. She's shy, but we may drag her onto it. So we may have nobody. Yeah, no yeah. one's safe. No one's safe. So <laughs> that's true. Well, listen, no, but yeah. if I if I see her, I'll try to talk her into it too. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Well, thanks for the memories. Yes, and, thank uh, you for the okay. nice memories. That's very nice to hear. Thank okay. you. Alrighty. You're okay. welcome. Thank you, dear. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. It's a long way. Sue, that was so nice to hear from your mother-in-law. Yes, she was definitely a listener of her Oscar Anderson in the morning, so it definitely was a great, great memory to bring back. And she is definitely a New Yorker with that accent. Well, she is. So in her phone one day I looked at and it was my name and D-I-L was next to it. And I said, what is D-I-L? And she said, well, you're my daughter-in-law. All right. So next up on uh, the threesome episode, we are going to talk to Kenny. Yeah. Kenny is a family friend and he actually is a buffalo farmer. When I met him, he became friends with my brother, John. And through my brother, John, he met my father and my father was able to help him achieve something that he had wanted to do since the Vietnam War. With me today is Kenny Lohr, who is a friend of my father's, who he met later on in my father's life. Um, And did you meet my dad through John? Yes, I've met him through John because, well, you guys live in Hoosick and we moved up to Cambridge and uh, I became friends with John and then I started going to the family parties and that's how I met you and Jose and the kids and uh, your father was just very generous and took us all in and I did most of the family parties with you guys. Right, I remember, I remember that. And also, I just want to put this out here that uh, you're sort of like my, uh, I admire you greatly because you ran the Appalachian Trail. Wow. Well, I didn't run it, but I did complete the Appalachian Trail. It uh, took uh, six months, 2,140 miles. And uh, when I climbed Mount Kadadin, I was 48 years old. I planned it that I would climb Kadadin on September 9th. And I did, and I turned 48. And uh, I've done a lot of crazy things in my life. Um you know, I've done Ironman triathlons. Um, three years ago, I was the oldest guy to uh, do the uh, honorary baton march out in White Sands Missile Base, um, which was uh, full military, uh, 45 pounds, 26 miles. Took me 11 hours and 32 minutes at the age of 70. So, uh, And uh, I also got involved with a lot of the mud races with local people up there. Um, Tough Mudders, Spartans, Warrior Dash, uh, Battle Frogs. So, but now my knees, and my body are taking the toll. <laughs> well, and also I like to uh, point out that you also raised buffalo, which I think was you were like ahead of the buffalo curve, weren't you? Raising buffalo. Uh, yeah, in New York, I was a Northeast director and member of the Eastland and National Bison Association, and I'm originally from Long Island, out in the Hamptons, and that's what. Brought me up to your uh, area. Um, I went up there. I got a couple hundred acres. I started with uh, probably with uh, four animals, and I ended up with 140. 
And uh, then it became when the fun went out of it, and I, I loved the animal, and I just walked past him and didn't see him anymore. Then it was time to get out. But that's that's how we, I how I actually met your brother John. Um, I was at the agricultural place over in Greenwich, and uh, I was trying to find stuff on the map on the piece of property that I was looking at. And John came over, and I didn't even know who he was. Like, he started talking to me. Well, this is a good area, and this is good soil. I'm raising uh, animals, and we we just hit it off. And he says, if you ever need anything or any advice, come over here and talk to me. And I relied on him a lot, and he really got me started on stuff. Yeah, yeah he was a frustrated farmer as well. So I want to go back. You uh, grew up in the city, in in the right? You were born and raised in the city, Long Island? No, way out on the South Fork of Long Island, a town called Hampton Bays. Okay. And uh, you served in the Vietnam War, and um, this is where your story comes in about my father. Uh, you met him later in life, and I just think that your story is a very powerful story. So if you'd like to tell us, um, please go right ahead and tell us about your story with my father. Well, I credit the young rascals uh, with saving my life in Vietnam. The rascals, everybody, the young rascals. I grew up in uh, in Hampton Bays, and the next town over was East Cog, and there was a bar there called The Barge, that the young rascals played with. They hadn't been on TV or made it famous. They were a bar band, and we went there every you know Friday and Saturday night, and we listened to them. So we get to Vietnam, and anything from the States is golden when you're over in Vietnam. And I was on a landing craft, which is uh, an LCU, uh, landing craft utility. It's 115 foot long, 35 foot wide. And we could carry over 100 tons of cargo. And that's the type of boat that you go and you hit the beach and the big door comes down. And we could take on uh -huh. tanks or yeah, yeah. supplies or anything. So we were supposed to make a run the next day, us and our sister boat. And uh, we never knew what kind of cargo we supplied. So they called us to hit the beach. And at that time, we could get uh, TV out of Saigon. And the Leslie Uggam show was coming on, and we heard the young rascals were coming on, and I didn't want to miss it. So they were coming on, say, 7 o'clock, and the harbor master calls us and tells us to hit the beach to take on our cargo. I said, if we hit the beach, we got to pay attention. We can't watch TV. So I was an engineer, and I called the harbor master. I said, i got a deadline to boat. I'm having some problems. He said, you're going to be down long. I said, no, not really. I said, maybe an hour and a half. He says, no problem. He says, I'll call the, our sister boat. There was two of us making a run the next day. And uh, called him to hit the beach. And the cargo was stacked on the beach. So by him going ahead of us, he ended up getting our cargo. We watched TV. He backed off the beach. We went and hit the beach. We took on his cargo. Well, the next day, running down the uh, Mekong Delta, we were the lead boat. And we took a direct hit by a rocket. And we had his load, which was PX supplies, mm -hmm. and he had our load, which was over 100 tons of ammunition, 105s. And if it wasn't for us watching TV or the Young Rascals being on it, we wouldn't have been here today. So and um, all those, I heard they were— They all perished? All, the, all they, they got blown up by a missile, the ones that were carrying your, your cargo? No, they were behind us. Oh, okay. We were the lead. They didn't get hit at all. We got hit. Oh, you got hit. 
And because we just were carrying PX supplies, we took a direct hit aft, and it was an air burst over the bow, which, you know, would have ignited the cargo, but because it was just PX supplies, we didn't get hit. But so, so if he they had, had the all, cargo we they were, were supposed to have, right. it would have been another story. Right. Everything would have been yeah, blown we, out. We were, we, were supposed, we were supposed to have the munitions. Well, because we watched TV, <laughs> we wow. didn't. Yeah. And uh, I heard that they were coming into Albany, and I always wanted to thank Felix Cavalieri. He never knew what happened, and I just wanted a ch- chance to tell him the story. And uh, I was pretty close with your father at that time. And I go over there, and I says, hey, is there anything you can do? Can you get the DJ? Or you, you got pull? And by Jesus, he did. You know, he pulled strings. He got me on there. Uh, we went to the... Uh, to the show, they got us uh, red carpet treatment backstairs. Um, Felix was very grat- uh, happy about it. They told him the story, and even he dedicated a song when he came out to us. Was uh, my friend Kenny Lore? I'm going to donate this song grooving to him, and he did. And that uh, <laughs> it, it was really great. I mean, um, I could have never done it without your father, and. Uh, you know, me and John hung out with him whenever we could. We'd go out to eat. We went to the man. We would go to the man. Take him to the man of Kent, and uh, have burgers and uh, just get him out of the house and out of your mother's hair a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> he loved that. But then he would grab you and entertain, sing for our, for his supper. I oh, guess yeah. you could say. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We, we would come back. He'd say, "Kenny says, come here. He says, I got to run some stuff by you that I'm working on. You know." And I'd go into to the room. And uh, he would play stuff and do, do the whole skid, like the morning show all over again, you know. And I, <laughs> I, I just loved it. I mean, that's the type of guy he was. Yeah, he was pretty down to earth. But I, I guess that was a great way for you to have sort of closure with that experience. That's pretty pretty uh, something that you just can't get over, you know. Just, uh, just by watching a TV show, it just changed everything. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, it took me 33 years to do it, and I'm living in the villages, Florida, right now, and I've got a chance to meet Felix two more times. Um, one of the uh, Vietnam vets here is an author, and he had a book, and that story's in the book. And I got a chance to present the book to uh, Felix. Um, Leslie Uggams was here. I get to go backstage and meet her and tell her the story. And um, but your father got the ball rolling. Well, that's wonderful. That is a a great story, Kenny, and. And, you know, I thank you for allowing us to hear your story and share it with us. And, you know, hey, maybe we'll be down in the villages one day doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, to have you, know, <laughs> you know, the, your family is uh, one in a million because I'm still very close to them. I was just to Laura's wedding, your niece's wedding. Mm-hmm. I'm very close to Philip, uh, Mike. And uh, John, and I mean, it's your family is very open, and and you can take that credit from from your father. Well, thank you, thank you so much, Kenny, and thank you for your time. And uh, you did a great job. We enjoyed hearing from you, and thank you very much, Kenny. A quick, quick question, because okay. uh, you don't know me, but I know you. But uh, <laughs> um, do you still have your yellow pickup truck? No, I wish I did. Yeah, I remember. That's what I remember. I remember you, but I remember your yellow pickup truck. What was the yellow pickup truck? I don't a know. 55 Chevy. Yeah, it was, uh-huh. it was nice. So anyway. Yeah. Well, you made I, quite, I got a a bunch of, <laughs> quite an impression. I got, a bunch of, I got a bunch of other toys down here now. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, nice nice to hear your story. It was really amazing and nice talking with you. So Take care, Kenny. Take okay. care. Thank Hi you. Hi to Jose and your mother. Okay, okay. Ken. Okay. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Our next guest, Sue, is somebody who had a really big hit in the late 60s, early 70s that was used for an advertisement. I believe it was Coca-Cola, correct? Correct. And Ding. John and John and I will hum it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So here we are with okay. Lori Hafer, who worked with my father on cruise ships for many years uh, towards the end of his life. And Lori is known for... I like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony, right? Nicely done, yes. Yes. Where were you when we had the group? <laughs> well, I don't know. You should have asked me. I would have been there in a minute. But you had... My father put together the group. He probably didn't know you yet. So. No. I, yeah. That was 1971. I think I was 11 years or 10 years old at that time. So I don't think... Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so that was a monster. I mean, I remember... Suzanne, what did you say when you first it heard it? The Coca-Cola commercial. I was only two then, so... Yeah. <laughs> Wow. No, yeah. the, the Coca-Cola commercial, my father saw it. The guys from Coke told my father to put together a, gr a group to sing and record the song. And I sang lead. My mom was in the group. And the Shaw brothers and the Marino family were part of the group. It was like made up of four families. It was awesome. Oh, I just, I remember that so well. And what a great song. So who wrote the song? Billy Backer, Billy Davis. Uh, Roger Cook and Roger Greenaway. Mm -hmm. and, I'm and then my father wrote the middle part that goes, put your hand and put your hand in my hand. Let's yeah. begin today with your hand in my hand. Help me find the way. My dad wrote that part. Okay. Can, can you sing the first verse just so we can hear it? Yes. Without, yeah, I I'd like it. to build the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honey bees and snow white turtle doves. Oh, that's I'd great. like to teach. That's it. Yeah. 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 I remember that very, very well. And, um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Cause that's when my dad said, you know, I'm going to be doing this with Lori on the cruise ships and we're going to be entertaining and this. And I knew right away when he sang that song, I knew exactly, uh, that song. And it, it was a great, great, great song. So, you Your dad was the most fun, by the way, to sing with. He was always a pleasure and always a joy. He brought such joy everywhere he went. Well, you know, it's interesting. We've talked with a lot of uh, entertainers, but you actually sang with my dad. And a lot of people... I did. There's a YouTube video on of us. Okay. Yes. I, I, I've seen I'm that. Singing How About You. Yeah. Right. But a lot of people never really realized that my dad sang. That oh, my gosh. He sang... He sang with all the records he was playing. Yeah, I know he did. But a lot of people just, they just don't, didn't think that he was uh, talented in that way. You know, my dad, he could carry a tune. He, you know, he was very good. He was the best. Yeah. Was he easy to sing with? I mean, as a, as a, a professional singer, would he be? Absolutely. He was the easiest to sing with. We used to do, my favorite part on the cruise ships, what we used to do is we do like a morning, we do a morning show. And we just we just sing whatever songs we wanted to sing. My husband would back us up, and our son would back us up on on bass, and our my husband on piano. And we would just sing songs to the people. It was wonderful. We did like a morning show, just 
enjoying the songs. Yeah, I know. Together. He he loved uh, he loved to entertain. He loved to sing, and I think that was. I felt he was a little bit constrained, even though he could sing to the records. But uh, and he would harmonize. Oh, yeah. Well, he harmonized all the he time. Was, he was amazing. It must have been a thrill. He was just such a great man. I mean, you know that. But he was just such a pleasure, and I am so thrilled. We got to know him and your mom so well on the cruises. We hung out. We ate dinner together all the time. We were always at each other's table, which was great. <laughs> were, were you a listener of his as well when he was on WABC? Did you know him then? I was. I did not. Well, I knew of him. And I uh, guess he used to listen in the school car on the way to school. Okay. So you, so, yeah. so you grew up in the in the area in New York City? I did. I, I grew up in New York City, Upper West Side, near Columbia University. Okay. So... I talked to you also, which we were very interested in, about the Brill building. Um, Like I said, fascinating. So your father actually- The history of that place. Yeah. My father did have, he had an office there. Okay. and In the Brill building when he worked for Joy Records. Joy Records. Okay. That's what I said to Sue, Joy Records. So did they have any hits or anything that would be notable? Uh, you know what? When my dad was with him, I don't know. I'm not really sure. You'd have to look it up. I mean, you'd be like me looking it up on the net. Okay. okay. I unfortunately don't remember. I remember going. I was very little. You know, I was. Yeah. I think I was like five, five years old when he worked at Joy. I may be wrong on that. He worked for Columbia Records for many, many years. My dad. So what did he do? Produced- was he was a producer? He was an A and R man. Yes, okay. under Goddard Lieberson and Mitch Miller at Columbia in the fifties. In early 60s. So those of the people who don't uh, don't know what an AR person is, exactly what is that? It's the guy who finds the uh, the entertainer, the musician, the uh, singer, and kind of helps them pick the songs that they're going to record. So if I walked in... And, and oversees the whole thing. But it, it would have had to been an established singer, or could Sue walk in and say, I'm interested in a song for my singing career? Could she walk in, or was it basically uh, for... Probably pe- not. No, it was more like uh, chosen by... For example, my father produced the early Johnny Mathis and Tony Bennett recordings on Columbia. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, now, so would, that have been done in the, would that have been done in the Brill Building, or... Uh, no, 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 no. That was, I don't think Columbia, Columbia had their own uh, place where they had their recordings. The recording, there was a recording studio called Columbia 30th Street. And most of the recordings were done there, I think, which okay. was another iconic New York landmark for musicians of that era. My dad recorded a lot of the original cast albums in the 50s and 60s. It just early, early 50s. We're just amazed. Early 50s and 60s. We're just amazed that I, all this in New York City. And when you think of music, where do you think? You think California. You think everything's no, out. no. Okay, we've learned that. No, well, not when I grew up. My <laughs> no, parents yeah. came off the big bands, yeah, with the Glenn Miller Orchestra. And then they and then they moved to New York City and started doing. I can tell you this. My father probably met Burt Bacharach when he was at the Brill Building because Burt yeah. Bacharach was a frequent visitor at my house. Oh, really? He and his parents, yes. Oh, he wow. always was my babysitter. I think at the time he was single, my father was trying to set him up with his sister. <laughs> I know. Who was gorgeous, but but very much had eyes for other people. So she was not interested in Mr. Backrack. I know. Which oh. is a good thing. Yeah. Probably. So your father was with a, yeah. a big band. Were they entertainers or 
what, oh, what? My, my my father played bass with Artie Shaw when he was yep. 16 and then went to Tex Beneke's orchestra and he did some arranging and my mom was the girl vocalist so they met in 1948 got married in 1949 I was born in 56 okay so that's that's the uh, uh, draw dad has with you is because my dad loved big bands love that yes, he time did. love that time period so well, I mean, that's interesting, the Brill building and... Uh, so so when you were, I'm sure you were too young, like you said, to really remember what was happening when you were in the Brill building, but it just seems like right. I can just picture people sitting in the hallway on the floor writing a song propped up against the <laughs> I wall. I believe that's probably exactly the way it was. It was like an awesome place. There was so much talent there, so much. And and Yeah, Carol King got started there, I think. She, yep. was, she was in the Brill building, yeah. So what happened? Why did it all of a sudden just sort of fold it up? Was it just because of the Beatles? Is the, I mean, that's what we hear, but do you have any reason why you think it, it ended in New York? I don't really know. I think things change and people are fickle sometimes, and it's to their detriment to, do, to be that way, I think. But, yeah, you know, things change. The world changes, as you well know. Right. Yeah. Nothing is the and, same. Uh, I, am, I am so old school and very old fashioned, and I don't mind it either. No, I think when I'm the same way. Yeah, you know, I'm a lot to say younger, for it. but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but one thing I think we were talking about, we weren't sure if it was just what we kind of uh, saw, but it seemed almost like the British invasion came. And then I think like we we're talking about the Beach Boys and things like that it seemed to be more of the beachy sound and more of a California feel. And so that we weren't That's quite sure. That's true. If that and I think it things. changed. I, I think you're right. I think it changed and it went to California. A lot of a lot of hit records came out of there as well in the sixties, especially. Yeah. But how is it today? I, I don't, it's a silly question, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know that, you know, but if most people produce records today or go, where are most of the recording studios? Are they in California or? I would think. I have absolutely no idea. My, my, my albums were self, well, my last, latest album was self-produced and my uh, first, the other album was done in Philadelphia. So okay. it went elsewhere. Just, I think it kind of depends on the region you're in and, you can kind of find if you find musicians that are like minded, you can do stuff. But I think it's Nashville. I think oh, that's Nashville. true. A lot of Nashville, Nashville is big. Yeah. It is big. Yeah, Definitely. and Austin now, Austin, Texas. I'm not sure how much they record that's there, but true. I know a lot has moved to Austin. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't know that. Okay, yeah. so they leave. yeah, there's a lot of music in Austin. Yeah, mm-hmm. I live in Florida now, so I've been out of New York for a lot of years. No, mm-hmm. do you do you still entertain? Oh, yes, yeah, still do it. I'm going to do uh, a couple more cruises. This We did one in January, going to do another one in October. They're not to the extent that we used to do them with, with your dad, Carla, but uh, we were the same people hired us, which is really cool, and we're working for, for them. And they're it's geared towards seniors and their families mm-hmm. and pretty much doing the kind of songs that we did. Oh. My father started a radio network called The Music of Your Life, which used to be very, very popular. And it was had over 200 stations at one time. But uh, it was the songs of romantic optimism. Okay. The songs we all remember. Yeah. I mean, re- that everybody knew, knew the same music. I remember my dad talking about music of your life. And I'm glad you he brought that up. He was actually on the network. Yeah, he was on the network as a DJ. Oh, he was. And my son was actually, as a very young guy, was his engineer. He would, he would record him, on the radio. Oh, wow. For yeah, for music of your life. Yeah, my yeah, my son. So it's a generational thing. We're big into families. Well, that's good. That's very really big, good. Very big. Family. And I know your husband and your son come on the cruises with you still. They do. Yes, absolutely. I would be 
lost without them. So why don't you yeah, give a little plug on, husband, on what you're going to be on and what when? What cruise line and yeah, when? And when? Oh, we are going to be on the MSC Seaside with the group called Helping Seniors of Brevard. They're the ones who hired us. Okay. And we're going to be doing concerts for them. My son on bass, my my husband on piano, and me singing. Okay. And when is this going they to take place? They both sing, but they don't want to. Oh, this is October. We're going to do kind of two back-to-back cruises or like a small cruise and a a, a three-day and a seven-day, so a total of 10 days from the 12th through the 22nd of October. Okay. On the MSC Seaside out of Port Canaveral, Florida. Well, very good. And it, Yeah, thank you so much. Well, yeah. you know, Lori, uh, yeah. wonderful to talk to you and connect to you. I, actually, I don't think I've ever talked to you personally, but I've heard my father speak so fondly of you and, and the wonderful times that he had on the cruises. And that was a, a great time of his life. He truly enjoyed singing and entertaining the way he wanted to. So I'm so thrilled. It was the best. I'm so, so thrilled to know you and to know and your mom and boy, your dad was just tops. We just adored him. We really did. Got a lot of photos of, of that. I will try to post some. Okay. That would uh, be great. Of those cruises one of these days. Yeah. Or if you're on Facebook, yeah, hit me up. So, yeah, but I can try to send them to you email. I'm very old school, so it may take me a while. <laughs> I don't even have Facebook. That's okay. I'll look you up. <laughs> She'll look you up. Yeah. All right, Lori. Well, thank you, and you have a wonderful evening, and have fun on those cruises, and, and who knows? We may chat we again. We may show up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to that meet you. lovely. Yeah. Thank God bless you guys. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, we got to do the happy feeling. One more time. Do you remember? <laughs> All right, let's do it, everybody, one more time. When I was a little feller, my papa used to say to me, Son, you'll find that happy feeling. A sinful technicality. Now that you can touch the ceiling. Thanks again for listening to the Return of the Morning Mayor podcast. If you're hearing my voice right now, there's a good chance you want to hear more about HOA. The story of the man behind the Morning Mayor is one that certainly needs to be told, and a goal is to have this story made into a movie. The script is written, and your support will help us get to the next level. If you feel motivated to do so, click the donate button in the about section. All proceeds will go towards seeing the story of Herbert Oscar Anderson on the big screen. Goodbye, God bless, and I thank you so very much.